Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wounded Blue Hour with your host, Randy Sutton. I'm a retired police lieutenant, 34 years of service, uh, both in Princeton, New Jersey, and 24 years with the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. I am the author of A Cop's Life, True Blue, and the soon-to-be-released Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's Safety. I'm also the founder of The Wounded Blue. The Wounded Blue is the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers, a nationwide charity dedicated to injured and disabled police officers. That's thewoundedblue.org. On this show, we are dedicated to the mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual health of the American law enforcement community. And it's all about the police. And uh, I always have a fascinating guest, and today is no different. But before we get to him, let us have what I call our reality check, where we mourn those who have given their lives in the line of duty. And unfortunately, I have several names to read this week. The first is Chief of Police Anthony Rickerson of the Jasper Police Department in Florida. Chief of Police Tony Rickerson was killed in a vehicle crash on County Route 143 in Hamilton County at 10.25 p.m. He was en route to backup officers who were responding to an unauthorized block party in Jasper when his vehicle struck a deer in the road. His patrol truck careened off the roadway, struck a large tree, and became engulfed in flames. Chief Rickerson has served with the Jasper Police for 13 years was appointed as the chief in September 2022. He previously served with the Jennings Police Department and the Florida Department of Corrections. He is survived by his wife and three children. Chief of Police Anthony Rickerson, Jasper Police Department, Florida. End of watch Sunday, June 11th, 2023. Police Officer Mark Christopher Wagner II, Wintergreen Police Department in Virginia. Police officer Chris Wagner was shot and killed after responding to a domestic disturbance at a call at a home on Arrowwood Lane at about 10 p.m. A man had assaulted two other men in the home and then left the residence. Officer Wagner located the subject in the wood line near the house after arriving at the scene. A struggle ensued during which officer uh, was, uh, was shot and killed with his own duty weapon. The subject was also shot during the struggle. Subject was arrested by other Wintergreen police officers and deputies from the Nelson County Sheriff's Office. He was charged with capital murder, use of a firearm, and the commission of a felony. Officer Wagner served with Wintergreen police for three years. Previously served as a police officer with the Massanutten Police. Police Officer Mark Christopher Wagner, the second Wintergreen Police Department, Virginia, end of watch, Friday, June 16th, 2023. And the third officer to die in the line of duty this week, Trooper Jacques Rougeau, Jr., Pennsylvania State Police. Trooper Jay Rougeau was shot and killed by a wanted man near the intersection of Swamp Road and Baumgardner Drive in Walker Township shortly after 3 p.m. At about 11 a.m., the subject had entered the parking lot of the Pennsylvania State Police Troop G, Lewistown Station, and shot several patrol cars using a large caliber hunting rifle. The man fled the scene and called 911 several times as they searched for him. 
The man then shot and critically wounded a Pennsylvania State Police Lieutenant in the Mifflington Borough at about 12.45 p.m. before fleeing again. Shortly before 3 p.m., the man was located in a shopping center, fled into a nearby wooded area where he and Trooper Rigaud were both killed during the shootout. Trooper Rigaud had served with the Pennsylvania State Police for almost three years. He is survived by his wife. Trooper Jacques F. Rigaud, Jr., Pennsylvania State Police, end of watch Saturday, June 17, 2023. Each of these officers gave their lives in the line of duty, serving their communities. May they rest in peace. You know, the violence towards law enforcement continues unabated. And the reality is that uh, the, these officers are facing critical dangers, not just physically, but emotionally and psychologically as well. And that's some of the things we're going to be talking about today. But as of, as of June 1st, and we're um, a couple weeks into the, into the month, 166 police officers shot in the line of duty. That's in the first five months of the year. 166 police officers shot in the line of duty. That doesn't count all the other assaults and, um, and uh, beatings, stabbings, being hit with objects. Those are just the shootings. So that's why we are so concerned with the with the uh, wellness of our law enforcement officers. And um, it is a true topic that is worth uh, a show dedicated to their sacrifices, which is the Wounded Blue Hour. So I have a great guest waiting for us in the, uh, in the back room here. He is Tom Smith. He is a 30-year veteran of the NYPD. He was a uh, retired as a second grade detective. He has done a bunch of assignments, including the uh, uh, work in robbery, work in the gang unit, uh, and did much of his career with the Joint Terrorism Task Force in New York City. He is also the host, along with his good friend and retired um, fellow detective, Danny Murphy. Uh, uh, he is the host of this great podcast called Gold Shields, and uh, he is my guest today. Tom, thank you for taking the time to join me here at the Wounded Blue Hour. Uh, it's a pleasure, uh, Randy. Thank you so much for having me. So let's talk about your police career first. Um, you had a 30-year career, and, you know, um, NYPD, uh, having the, the holding a detective rank is is different than most police departments because it is an actual rank. Can you explain, like you're a detective second grade, can you explain so that the listeners can get a, a feel for who you are and what you did in your career? Yeah, you know, I grew up in a house uh, of police officers. My father was a retired NYPD detective from the 50s and the 60s and, and finally retired in 1976. So it was all I ever wanted to do. Uh, I grew up holding his shield, putting it on my belt when he got home from work and running around the house, pretending to be a detective. Uh, and it was the only rank I ever wanted to be. I was asked numerous times to take the sergeant's tests and so forth, but I was so content being a detective because that was my dream to run around, investigate high crimes, uh, 
getting certain details. So that was what I wanted to do. And uh, this day and age to live out a dream sometimes doesn't happen according to plan, but mine actually did. So I was very grateful for the 30 year career that I had. Now, um, uh, what I want to also get at is, so you were, you're a detective, but in, in many places uh, where, I, where I retired from uh, detective is just an assignment. You, you, mm-hmm. you may test for it, but it's, a, it's, it's basically um, you're a patrol officer that's given the rank of or given the assignment of detective. That's not the same situation in New York, is it? No, you have to get on a detective track, uh, which means there's certain details that you would go to in order to propel you to a detective rank. My path was through narcotics. Uh, I went from being on patrol in uniform to an anti-crime unit, uh, which was a plainclothes unit, then into narcotics. Uh, Narcotics gave you the path to get to a detective shield. So you started off doing narcotics investigations. And after a certain amount of time, 18 months and being recommended by your supervisors, you were then promoted to third grade detective. In the NYPD, there's three grades. You start off as a third grade detective to second to first grade. Uh, I was promoted to second grade about 10 years before I retired. So I got to that rank and I was very happy with that. And you've done a variety of assignments. Let, let's talk about let's talk about some of your observations during your thirty year police career. Uh, you retired in what year? Twenty twenty. So very recent, very recent. You retired yeah. at about the time when the unrest was spilling out all over the United States. Um, Let's talk about what some of the changes that you saw with the NYPD. Um, you know, one of the things that that uh, I was startled to read very recently was that the NYPD has decided to do away with their with their physical standards, with their physical testing, and I was shocked to hear that. Uh, what what are your feelings about this diminishment of of um, you know standards when you're hiring cops? Is this simply because of the um, you know the the new reality with 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 recruitment being so dismal, or is there something else at play here? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons, and I went through many different. Uh, sections and different turnarounds with the NYPD. When I first got on in 1990, we were very handcuffed. We weren't allowed to do certain things. It was a time of, all right, look at it, don't really act on it. And then in 1994, when Commissioner Bill Bratton became our PC, everything changed. Uh, We had the backing of the department. We had the backing of the DA's office in order to go out and do your job, which is all all of us wanted to do was go out and be police officers. All right, let, 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 let me stop. I, let me stop you there. Let me stop you there because you, 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 what you just said is, is very, very important. Um, let's let's take a little walk back in history, if if we can. Um, so I was a police officer in New Jersey from 1976 to 1986, and I worked actually some cases with the NYPD, and. 
the New York City was a hellhole back in the in the late seventies and eighties with rampant crime. With uh, I mean, basically there was um, it was it was uh, it was a hellhole. Um, I mean, you took your life in your hands walking down the streets. But there was some changes made. But one of the problems was there there was some major corruption issues. And some of those corruption issues resulted in you guys being ordered not even to do your job sometimes. I remember walking down the street on a case and, and there were open dope deals taking place right on Wall Street. And there was there was there were police officers watching and I, I went up and I said, what is going on here? And they told me we're under orders not to do anything. I was shocked at that. Can you let's let's talk about that moment in time um, when when things were so out of control? Yeah, that was the early, like I came on in 1990. So the early part of the 90s was just like that. We were kind of handcuffed with what we were able to do. Uh we had 3,000 homicides in the city, 110,000 robberies, 85,000 rapes going on. But yet we're told, don't worry about that. You know, take care of yourself. And that was it. And it was very frustrating to, to go through that. And every day you would come into work and not be able to do your job, which is what none of us signed up for. You know, when I took the test in 1987, Randy, and this will blow your mind, 85,000 people took the test. That's how many wow. people wanted to be police officers in New York City. 85,000 people. So that was an indication of how the job was so revered and how many people wanted it. And then we got on and were in this kind of bubble of not being able to do your job. And then thankfully in 1994, as I stated, administrations change and we got Bill Bratton as our police commissioner and changed the entire dynamic of policing, especially in New York City, where, as you know, the broken windows policies came into play, which was the more small crimes you lock up, it'll prevent the larger crimes from happening because the, the evidence showed that the same people were doing those crimes. So if you take away the turnstile jumping, smoking marijuana, the, the nothing kind of break-in burglaries, those are the people who were responsible for the shootings and the homicides and the robberies. So once we were able to do our job and go out and actually arrest people and keep them in jail, and one of the main parts of the broken windows policies, unlike today, was the relationship that the NYPD and City Hall had with the district attorney's office. They kept them in jail, they prosecuted them, and they tried them and we were able to literally get people off the street not for an hour not for a day for years because of the relationship we had with the the da's office at the time okay and that let, dramatically let, changed right right so uh, i i'm glad you brought that up because with what we're seeing today is the antithesis of of actually the policing that took place back then. So, but it's interesting from a historical perspective that when you joined, it was hands off and it was because of, of politics and, and the crime was out of control. I mean, you just said some incredible statistics. Um, 
and and the the number of people that took the police test. This is another topic that is so that is so critical right now. I mean, you said eighty five thousand people took the police test. Yes, eighty five thousand just on my just my test. Yeah, I mean, th- so I, I for for the people who are listening and watching this, think of that. And how do you know how many people took the test last time it was given in in, in New York? Oh, a couple of thousand. Probably a couple of thousand. A couple of, right, a couple of thousand. And as a result, the NYPD, just like the LAPD just announced, are diminishing their standards for hiring. So you come on, you are now part of what was essentially a major shift in policing as we know it, the broken windows theory. And I'm trying to remember the the, the uh, law enforcement expert that came up with that. Uh, do you remember his name? The law enforcement that came up with the broken windows policy. Yeah, it was a, it was a combination. We we refer to it as the dream team in the NYPD. It was Bill Bratton, it was uh, Deputy Commissioner uh, Jack Maples, Chief Louis Anamone, and the first step John Timoney they collectively came up with this plan and if you look at it randy it was a simple plan go out lock up bad guys that yeah. Was it. <laughs> yeah you know yeah. we're, we're not mean, talking rocket science here right no it was a simple plan that all of us the the thirty thousand officers in the nypd at the time that's all we wanted to do and to have the backing and the leadership in order for us to do that meant the world to us now you actually enjoyed going to work every day because you were living out your dream like I was and able to do your job uh, through the time through your tour. You know, one of the other things about the broken windows theory that uh, it would and it, this was hailed as a monumental shift in law enforcement when this took place. Um, I mean, basically every police department adopted it in 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 some mm-hmm. measure or another, including the department that I worked with. Um, and part of that was if people live in squalor and the, and the police do nothing about it, that that continues the, the upward uh, abilities of the criminal. But when you use the resources for, of law enforcement to, say, tow away abandoned vehicles, to utilize um, code violations in order to force um, uh, landlords to clean up their properties. Uh, all of that played a role into, into policing at that time. Do you remember that? Oh, absolutely. And, and that, was the, that was the funny thing about it. You know, the, the broken windows policies weren't new laws. No one created any new laws. They were already laws that were on the books that were just weren't being enforced. So when you have the hierarchy and the brain trust of the NYPD going back and going, okay, what's on the books that we can use to make the city better, to make the citizens more safe, to protect the police officers? Let's just pull them out and start using them. And that's all that it was. It wasn't any, you know, grand a bill, a congressional hearing, none of that. It was just laws that were always there that started to get utilized. All right, let's let's transpose that, if you will. So we have seen uh, 
crime in the in a major American cities skyrocket to a point that would almost be unbelievable. And we're seeing it in Chicago, we're seeing it in New York, we're seeing it in Los Angeles, in Seattle, in Portland, in all these major cities. And I, I, not, not to get on the political side here, but all these are Democratic-run cities. Now, they have chosen to do just the opposite of what worked. Enforcement worked, but now to even to even put forth the a concept that is based around the enforcement of laws, you would be instantly um, maligned as a racist, as a uh, a, a brutal, a brutal police officer. How did we, how did we get to this point where the obvious things that worked are being ignored because of the political tenor of today? And you just summed it up. All right. There's, there's not a more dangerous uh, profession in the United States to get politicized than law enforcement. Once politics get into law enforcement, everything changes. Okay, when politics stick its, sticks its nose in other aspects, maybe your life changes a little bit, you pay more for gas, you pay more for you know things at the store. But when politics get involved with law enforcement, police officers' lives get endangered. And why is that? Because now criminals, it, well, I always said po politics and po uh, politicians don't realize that there's smart criminals out there. There's criminals that watch the news. There's criminals that have phones that go on the internet and they are more updated on what the police can't do than we are. And they take advantage of that. And they understand the political slant that law enforcement is under now. And what does that do? That, that brings down, like you said before, standards and why? Because officers are young, young men and women who want to get into law enforcement are not doing it because of the political angle that's going on right now. Cops don't get into law enforcement. Young people don't get into law enforcement to get rich. Not at all. They get into law enforcement to do a calling, to have a calling, to do a job that they are passionate about, helping their communities, helping other people. So when you endanger officers with the political realm, they don't want to do that job anymore. And that's where we are now. Uh, you know, unlike other professions, our safety gets uh, thrown out there when politics gets involved. And the young officers who have dreams about being officers are turning to other professions because of the uh, unsafe future that officers face today because of laws changing. Criminals in a revolving door system that just get out after you, you know, either chase them, get in a fight with them, and so forth. And I think the biggest uh, example I can give you is you do it, Randy, all the time, and we've had this conversation. When you watch these videos that people put out on social media of uh, officers getting in fights, they're not being aggressive, they're not getting in a fight. All they're doing is holding on to these perpetrators, hoping someone helps them, 
another officer comes out. That's how cops get hurt. And why is that happening? Because they don't want to get in trouble. Because they know what's coming down the line if they hurt a perp who's trying to kill them. You know what? I just got a great idea for a t-shirt. Hurt hurt a perp. (laughs) (laughs) But it's so true because... It is absolutely true. You know, we... We were told as a young cop in the academy in 1990 that you as a police officer are not allowed to lose a fight. You're not allowed. Right. Now, that's not being a tough guy, and I don't mean it that way. But the uh, the point of it was if you lose a fight, you're going to die. That, right. co- that bad guy is either going to beat you to death or grab your gun and shoot you. So you were not allowed to lose a fight. So you did everything in your power to win. Now, they take that now and turn it around as you hurting a bad guy. And all it is, basically, is self-defense. You know, we're right. always told the biggest, the most important thing as a police officer is to go home at night. Do your tour, go home at night. Now, in order to do that, there's times you need to protect yourself and do what you need to do to go home at night. And all when, right. again, like I said, politics gets involved in that, it spins it in a bad way. All right, I'm going to hold, we have a hard break right now. We're going to come back, stick with that thought, and um, we're going to hear from some of the people who support this this program. And uh, I love to talk about, about companies that are supportive of law enforcement. America out loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. Well, we know you because we are you. AmericaOutloud.com. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. The liberty and justice for all. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Out loud. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution, Cofix RX. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix RX nasal solution cleanse. That's COFIXRX.com. Save 20% by using promo code out loud at cofixrx.com. I was introduced to officerprivacy.com by the, by the founder of the organization who came to me 
He's a retired uh, retired police officer from California, who was very involved in the technical aspects of uh, of the uh, of the job, and he told me that he created this company because he discovered how easy it was to get personal information off of the internet about police officers, their home addresses, the cars they drive, all kinds of, of information is out there on the web. And we all know what now something called doxing began to be very popular by organizations like Antifa and, and people who were savvy in the use of computers to be able to find police officers and put their families and themselves in danger. We saw, we saw a number of, of, of vehicles being vandalized uh, in the driveways. Uh, we, we saw police officers being attacked. And so he created officer privacy that basically all of his employees are former cops and they go into the internet and they actually scrub the information from the internet. Uh, they found so many references to my home I was just blown away. So I am a strong proponent of OfficerPrivacy.com. It's not expensive. It's a peace of mind for you, peace of mind for your family. So go to OfficerPrivacy.com, check them out, see what they do. I, I can tell you right now, um, they are dedicated to assisting other police officers. Whether you're active duty or you were, that, that information is there waiting, and it could cause problems for you. So go to officerprivacy.com. Now let's talk about one of my favorite coffee companies. One Nation Coffee. One Nation Coffee. Patriotic, uh, veteran-owned, uh, very, very good coffee. I w actually went down and visited their roasting facility and met with the folks down there, uh, John and his crew, and they are amazing people. The coffee is delicious. You order it online, they bring it right to your house. You can get the ground coffee, you can get beans. I like to grind my own. They've got uh, also got these, uh, you know, the, the containers that you put in your Kerrig or whatever that thing is called. So um, One Nation Coffee, go to One Nation coffee.com order your coffee and uh you'll get great coffee and you'll be supporting uh, a patriotic company that supports the wounded blue so uh go to one nation coffee.com i had some of that coffee this morning <laughs> so um if you are a law enforcement officer or have been i want to tell you about um the third annual national law enforcement survival summit that the wounded blue is putting on in September, September 26th through the 29th. I am telling you that this is essential training. It is a conference like no other. And it was put together when I was uh, having a, a conference with um, Mr. Uh, Guy Martin, who is the owner of Martin Harris Construction here in, um, in, in Las Vegas, one of the biggest construction companies in town, huge supporter of law enforcement and a true patriot. And we were talking about the, the dangers facing law enforcement officers, especially when, they're, when they get injured and disabled. And he asked me, he says, Randy, if you could, if you could stop officers or, or help officers from getting injured in, in the first place or disabled in the first place, what would that look like? 
And I said, well, I've already been thinking about this. I said, I would create a training event unlike any other. Every aspect of surviving a law enforcement career, physically, of course, but also emotionally and psychologically, also your relationships, fiscally, all things that, that, that when, you, when you take the job, you don't really think about, but is absolutely essential for law enforcement officers to, I mean, the goal of every cop is to one day retire with their health intact, with their bodies intact, fiscally okay. Ha that doesn't happen by accident. So we created the National Law Enforcement Survival Summit. This will be the third annual, and it is amazing training. The, uh, the people who are going to be there this year, Dave and Betsy Smith, for those old-timers like me, you remember J.D. Buck Savage. Um, I've got Colonel Dave Grossman coming, who is one of the, one of the most sought-after speakers in law enforcement. Um, we've got uh, a, special, a special guest coming in, a very well-known actor. I'm not telling you his name. But you've seen him, I guarantee you, and he's one of the best motivational speakers I've ever seen. We've got just incredible speakers and incredible presenters. I will be there, of course. And this is, this is something, if you're a cop or you love a cop, I want you to tell him about it or her. Because this, this, may, save, this may save a career, may save a life. Go to thewoundedblue.org. That's our website. Scroll down and you'll see that you can register right there. It's only $295. Uh, it's at the Ahern Hotel, beautiful boutique hotel, and the, the rooms are, are not expensive. Um, plus, there's entertainment. I, I refuse to have a conference where there's not some fun going on, too. So we've got a great performance coming up by Vinnie Montez, uh, credible comedian who's also a police officer, and a couple surprises coming up as well. So go to thewoundedblue.org and sign up today. Do not waste a moment. Go to thewoundedblue.org. Okay, so I'm going to talk about uh, back with Tom. Tom, come on, come on back in. Uh, so, you know, we were talking about the changes that, that began with the new political processes that began, you know, I, I, what, I'm going to ask you to see if, if, if we're on the same wavelength here. When did you begin seeing the, the tide turn, if you will, uh, where enforcement became less of the options and we began seeing um, the downturn of law enforcement within the public's uh, the public's respect level? Uh, I would say somewhere around 2016, right around there, uh, when I think social media became more of a issue, uh, the 24-hour news cycle, which has been around for a while, but I think that became more of a problem. And this drastic shift in uh, politics happened, and then it hit an all-time high in 2020. Uh, I think that's when we lost complete control of our profession. Uh, we lost control of the streets, what we were allowed to do, what we weren't allowed to do. Uh, it just took on a completely unimaginable turn, and the profession didn't look the same anymore. Uh, and cops were retiring and drones, you know, just leaving at a uh, geometric 
you know, level it just, from all over the country because it just wasn't worth it anymore. Uh, you know, there were cops with the time on the job that they could retire that were just being kind of laid out there, sacrificial lambs. And your pension was in, in jeopardy, your health was in jeopardy, your safety was in jeopardy, and it just it got to a point where it wasn't worth it anymore. And so you're right. We have seen the wholesale uh, diminishment of the ranks of policing all over the country uh, to a point now where where there this it's 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 hit almost critical mass where there aren't enough people on the streets in uniform to even handle the calls for service. This is actually one of the reasons why I wrote my upcoming book, Rescuing Nine One One: The Fight for America's Safety to highlight these issues and it's a call of call to action about it's time we have we have to gather ourselves and we have to become um, activists in order to retain and regain control in in the in the city streets but you know I you you said 2016 I think that's when Obama took office isn't that right uh, right around there. Yeah. No, yeah. Two, no, 2008 was his first time. Well, oh, right. yeah, yes. Well, we be, that's when I began seeing a diminishment. Um, mm -hmm. You'll remember that that this was a time when, um, when the President of the United States called out a police officer, I believe it was in New York. Uh, no, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. It was in Massachusetts who um, wound up arresting a college professor who turned out to be a buddy of Obama's and came out and said the police acted stupidly. That's when I began seeing the diminishment of respect and the, the, the diminishment of, uh, of the enforcement of laws. Uh, and that, of course, was coupled with, with the social media aspects as well. But that's when I really saw it. Uh, begin to develop, and it and it and it's been continuing its downward spiral. Um, now, as an NYPD guy, you're you're you know you are the the host of a great podcast called Gold Shields, so you are right in the mix still with with current events, with understanding um, you know the 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 issues facing policing. Tell us, I want to talk about Gold Shields for a moment. What was it that made you decide? Then I'm going to create a. I'm going to create a show, and I'm and 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 what was the what was your your motivating um, uh, influences to do that? Yeah, Dan and I had a conversation about doing a podcast back in uh, December, and the reason for it was how horrible law enforcement is being treated. And over the last X amount of years, it just got worse and worse, as you just stated. And we thought about bringing attention to these great officers, detectives, agents, prosecutors who did these incredible investigations that nobody knew about. You know, we always have the vision of the bad guy getting perp walked out of a precinct, put in a car and driven away. But no one will ever hear that that detective hasn't slept in two days, hasn't seen his family in a week, and went to three different states before he got that bad guy. No one hears those stories. So we wanted to highlight what's being done out there every day by 
detectives and, and agents and officers out there and the military as well with, with missions that they do that no one knows about. So our main focus was to bring attention to amazing, dedicated work of law enforcement and put it on a in a in a situation like a like Gold Shields to uh, have a social media presence and online presence and get these stories out of these true heroes that are out there. And you've been doing this since December, so we're talking about six months. What's your takeaway from since you began this program? Um, what's your takeaway from being involved? What is essentially a now you're in you're in the media. It, it, I mean, it's not it's not the mainstream media, of course, but it's still a media representation. How have you how have you adjusted to this? And what are your feelings about? Um, about your success with the show? Well, the success is weird. I'm not going to lie. You know, because <laughs> as, as, as police officers, we don't want anyone to know about us. You know, we're, we're, not, we're not wired that way. You know, we don't want to be recognized outside of what we do. You know, so when you're retired and you get into this, this field and you have people that recognize your name or the show... It's it, it took a little adjusting, but uh, it's it's going well, and we're we're so happy with the success that we're having, and and very humbled by it because we can tell stories back and forth of Danny's cases and successes, which there are so many, being in the units that he was in with Major K Squad and JTTF, and mine and JTTF. That you know you get wrapped up in your own kind of stories, and then you start to hear more and more of situations that we had never heard of and we have the opportunity to meet these people and ours aren't so great anymore you know our <laughs> stories are okay all right great you know when we interview a guest that we had on a couple of weeks ago named kimber guest who is a uh deputy sheriff she's a sergeant now down in uh berkeley county sheriff's office in south carolina and she got shot eight times in 2016 and survived returned fire chased the bad guy until she collapsed and then took a year to get back on her feet and back on the job and now she's back at work you know when you hear stories like that you know an investigation we did of a drug dealer isn't such a big deal anymore <laughs> you're right you know, I, I'm glad you actually brought that up because I'd like to hear some, about about some of the guests that really, you know, uh, had an effect on you. Because I, I I know that having a guest on a, on a show, um, you be, you learn so much from having you know a, a guest that that has contributed so much to law enforcement or, or experienced something incredible like like uh, the the one you just related. So what you just talked about with with this woman surviving the shooting and her returning fire and 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 then you know healing and she could have taken uh, a pension she could have taken mm -hmm. a, uh, you know a retirement a medical retirement but instead came back to work and that what what you just related is what I call and many others in the field do as well, the warrior spirit. And I, I want to talk about the warrior spirit um, for just a few minutes because it is, 
a um, it's a part of policing that many people don't really understand. And actually, there are police professionals, leaders that malign the even even the term warrior spirit. What are your feelings about? I mean, you've interviewed people like like this like this deputy. What are your thoughts about the warrior spirit in policing? It is a absolute true thing. Uh, it's it's kind of wired in you. I don't think it's something you learn. It's something in your DNA that is in you when you start the job. And I think as you progress in your career, it gets stronger and stronger. And, you know, cops, detectives, agent, you don't like to lose. You know, you don't like a bad guy getting away. You don't like a bad guy getting away with hurting you. So that just kicks into gear and it becomes a different level of uh of policing and like you said it's a warrior mentality and you see it more and more and we've heard it over and over again and it's not just people on the job and and i'm going to share a story with you and you know her very well of tanya owen you want a warrior that woman is the is one of the strongest warriors that i've ever met and had the absolute honor of interviewing uh tanya was a uh detective in the uh, Los Angeles County Sheriff's Office and her husband, who was a sergeant in the same department, was shot and killed and executed. And the story of that and that show took Danny and I's breath away. Uh, we actually didn't know what to say to Tanya after a while. And that show was our actual longest show. Tanya wanted to, was worried about the time that it was going. And we actually did a two hour show with her. And the warrior of her dividing her kind of warrior spirit of being a cop and then being a wife and being a mother all had to come together in this warrior mentality to keep herself together. And I don't think I've, I've spoken to someone that exhumed that so much than her. And it's just something that's in us, Randy, and it, it would never go away. And we have a common friend uh, called Dave Bray, who is a great uh, recording artist. And he has a song called The Warrior Inside. And if you listen to the lyrics of that, that kind of sums it up. You could be a young cop and you have it. You keep going in your career, you have it. You retire and you still have it. You know, you still have it. It will never go away. And it's something I'm always going to have. And my kids make fun of me sometimes. You know that it's in, inside <laughs> me but it's just something that that is in there that you kind of have to be proud of because if you have that you reach a certain level in your career that uh that a lot of people don't get to and that's why it disturbs me so much that law enforcement leadership in in a lot of places are now trying to diminish what that warrior spirit is now you you actually see um, trainings being canceled because the word warrior is utilized in the name of their training course. Um, so what we're seeing is once again the politicization of policing and police training. Now you and I both know that training is probably the most essential aspect of living through a career, of getting through a career 
um, you know, with your with your physical health intact, with your emotional health intact, with your spiritual health intact, if you are at odds with 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 your agency or with your political leadership, which eventually is the is the shot caller in these cities anyway, if you are at odds with with that philosophical um, notion, then how do you think these officers are being affected emotionally and mentally when they are basically told, don't have the warrior spirit, be a kinder, gentler police officer? How do you think that affects them? They can't do their job. They can't do their job effectively or at the level that they want to because it's impossible to do. You can be all cuddly and nice all you want until you run into that one guy who doesn't give a rat's ass about if you're cuddly or not and wants to kill you. You know, and if when you have the training of, all right, just calm it down, talk this way, talk that way, you know, situations that police officers run into are other people's worst times of their lives. They don't want to go to jail. They don't want to get in trouble. So they're going to act on that. And who's in the front of that? You are. Who's between going back to jail or getting free? You are. So you're going to be the target of that aggression. If you're trained constantly, either spoken to or physical training of not doing your job to protect yourself, you're going to lose. And that's that's what I was saying before. When politics creep into policing, it affects every aspect of policing, both mentally and physically. Because then once you get to a mental breakdown, what happens? You quit. You're right. done. And now now standards come down to police departments. The the numbers of police officers on the street every day go down. Who does that affect? The citizens of that city or town and other cops. Right, exactly, exactly. And yet, you know, let's let's take New York for example. Um, you know, that's that's your you, you were uh, you proudly served for more than thirty years as a police officer. What are the changes that you're seeing now with the current um, the the current officers who are now coming on? How how what's the difference between? the cop of yesterday and the cop of today? I think one of the biggest uh, problems is the lack of leadership and the lack of experience. When I came on in 1990, and if you did a day tour in uniform, all the guys on your day tour shift had 10, 15 years on the job. And that's who you learned from. When you went to a detective squad, it was even more. You had guys with 25, 30 years on the job that were teaching you how to be a detective. You have kids today out of the academy with a year or two on the job getting taught by someone with three years on the job. Now, if you take that on top of the political scheme that's going on and not being able to do your job, what are you teaching the new kids not to do your job? So it's a vicious cycle of, you know, inept policing and not by the officer's, you know, fault, but by what's going on around them. And the lack of experience on the job today is really, really hurting every police department in this country because the guys who had the opportunity to retire 
because of their time on the job. They took advantage of it because they didn't want to lose what they had. They wanted to get out the job in one piece, mentally strong and physically strong, so they retired. Now, what does that do? That brings down the experience level in police departments. So, again, who are kids learning from? Other kids. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you hit it right on the head. You hit it right on the head. So, um, Gold Shield, your, your show, where can people um, you know, get a hold of the show and listen to it? Okay, we, we release our show usually every Friday on every uh, podcast platform, Apple, Spotify, iHeart, uh, Amazon Music. And we also, you could go to our website, which is thegoldshieldshow.com and see uh you can access the show from there read about danny and i's career see the great partnerships that we have with our show which we are so proud of and, and wounded blue being one of them uh they're all on there so uh we're on all our social media platforms we continual continuously post our shows that are coming up and the great guests that we're so proud to have on our show I want to be. We have just a few minutes remaining, but when when you think about your guests, is there one that really stands out in your mind other than Tanya? I understand Tanya; her story is so incredibly compelling. But is there someone that really inspired you when uh, when you had him on your show? You know what, Kimber probably the most. Uh, Kimber Giz, who we had on a couple of weeks ago, uh, to have her in front of us and one of the best people I've ever spoken to, one of the funniest people I've ever spoken to. You want to take an event of getting shot eight times, twice in the face, once in the foot, the ankle, the knee and the side that went into her stomach. And the way she tells her story with the humor she tells it was the most inspiring thing I've heard so far on the show. Wow. Uh, she's a breath of fresh air and she was so good and again funny and we felt bad laughing about it you know she's telling the story about getting shot at point blank range eight times and she's laughing about it and you know that just shows the power of like you said that warrior mentality and she has that 100 percent to take that event she could have left she could have retired went on to do something else but if you listen to kimber's story in the show that was her dream her dream was to be a police officer. Right. And as she said, she wasn't going to let anyone take that away from her. And if it took a year to get back, it took a year to get back. And now she's actually waiting to get promoted to lieutenant. Uh, so she's even excelling at her job now after going back. Amazing. I think I think I may have to get her, her number from you and bring her on this show as well. So I agree. Uh, um, I want to thank you so much for taking the time, Tom, to uh, to join me here at the Wounded Blue Hour. Your insight, your uh, uh, observations, both as a, an experienced detective and as a talk show host are very, very, very fascinating. So I appreciate you taking the time. Um, Tom Smith, the host of Gold Shields with his friend Danny Murphy. And they are, the show is great. I, I highly recommend that you uh, go onto the platforms and take a look out of it. Tom, thanks again for joining me here at the Wounded Blue Hour. Thank you so much, Randy, for the opportunity. I had a great time. Great. So before we go, I wanna bring up the Wounded Blue again. The Wounded Blue is the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Officers. It's a nationwide charity 
It is made up of all, of cops who have been shot or stabbed or beaten or run over, have faced serious psychological trauma and came back from the abyss. The peer team, peer advocate support team of the Wounded Blue is second to none. They're all men and women who have faced the, the, uh, the, 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 the true dangers and, um, and, and come back from the other side. Many can never go back to being a police officer because of the extent of those injuries. And yet they continue to serve. They continue to serve their brothers and sisters because they care. Now you can see on my shirt that says never forgotten, never alone. That's what the Wounded Blue is. They are the Blue family. If you are struggling or you know an officer who is, 80% of our referrals come from people we've already helped and we've helped more than 15,000. Go to thewoundedblue.org. And here's the other part. We need your help. Go to thewoundedblue.org, hit that donate button, give 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever you can afford. And if you want to become a sponsor of the Wounded Blue, contact me personally, Randy at thewoundedblue.org. Thanks for joining me here at the Wounded Blue Hour. This is Randy Sutton. Stay safe.